Welcome to the Give Back Economy, a podcast about social innovation and social enterprise. Now with your host, Peter Miller. Welcome, and today we're going to talk to Krista Rempel from the Bridge Youth Resource Center, where she's the executive director, and she's in a town called Leamington. And Krista, where is Leamington for our listeners? For sure. So Leamington is in Windsor-Essex County, and we're about an hour south of Detroit for reference. Okay. So first of all, let's talk about your academic background. Where did you go to school? So I completed my Bachelor's of Health Sciences at Western University ages ago. (laughs) And then I went on to complete my uh, Master's of Health Promotion from Dow out in the East Coast. Oh, Dalhousie. Yes, Dalhousie. Yeah, yeah, exactly. For listeners that don't know the short forms, yes, Dalhousie. Okay. What about your work experience? Talk about that. For sure. So I started fresh out of school with the Windsor-Essex County Health Unit, and I did a number of different positions within there. So I I worked in workplace wellness. Then I moved on to smoking cessation with both the development of the programming side for smoking cessation, so um, how to deal with cessation aids and, and so on and so forth. And then I was lead in the development of the smoke-free outdoor space bylaws here within Windsor-Essex. From there, I moved into a new position that they created um, called the policy advisor position. And so a lot of that was just first and foremost internal development. So it was about eight years with the public health unit. And then um, from there, I moved right into this job as the executive director. So I've been here with the bridge for just about four years. Okay, so talking about the bridge, where did the name come from? Well, I the original board of directors, part of what they did was um, make sure that they were bridging the gaps um, between the service providers out in the Windsor area and what was needed in the county. And so that's really where the bridge was developed from, that name and that kind of tagline, bridging the gap. And what's the purpose of the bridge? So we are a youth-serving organization for youth ages 14 to 24. And so the first building, or the first phase, we call it, was opening up the resource center. So those doors opened in January of 2018, and I wasn't even there yet for the first six months. And we center our services around education and job support, life and coping skills, mental health addiction services, and social inclusion activities. When a youth walks in our doors, um, they're greeted, and we make sure that their basic needs are taken care of. So we do have shower and laundry facilities. We do have a nutrition program where youth can take about three days worth of groceries home with them. We have a small clothing closet. We don't want to have much. Um, We are an old church um, that was repurposed, and storage is limited. And we've got good partners with um, some agencies like Thrift on the Mill or Value Village where we give gift cards if the youth identifies the clothing need, and they can kind of pick their own style and size and so on. 
And then every night we serve a hot meal Monday through Friday at six o'clock. And it's part of our drop-in program that runs from four to 8 p.m. And that is a way for us to connect in, build community, and um, participate in a nightly activity that's run by our youth outreach and leadership coordinator. So that, that's kind of just phase one. And so in January of 2020, we moved into a 24-7 service. So we took a big leap and um, had a very generous donor come forward. And we built the Acquiring Family Fresh Start Housing Facility. And it was in recognition that youth typically are not necessarily able to live independently right away. That especially for what we see as those under the age of 18, it is important for them to learn the life skills um, and to build the confidence to, to move on to independent living, work on family reintegration, or we do have some youth that do need to move on to more permanent housing with supports. Um, they just may not have the capacity to live independently. Okay, so talk about outreach. How, how do these people find out about you? And so how do they, uh, mm -hmm. is it referrals? Is Because, you know, I, I'm thinking of a 14-year-old girl mm -hmm. who may be homeless and on drugs and it's not going to be easy for her to find out who you are and where you're located yeah so one point of clarification is our um, supportive housing facility is only for those ages 16 to 24 and that's because cis typically would handle um, individuals that are the age group that you're talking about so we see um, either referrals from other service agencies that um, where youth identify as a housing need. We have had walk-ins, literally somebody walks in off the street and says, you know, I need some help with housing. And um, we do get online requests either through our website or on our social media. So we do have a strong social media presence. Our staff do a great job in um, making sure that we're connecting through, you know, the means in which youth communicate at this point. And we also make sure that we're connecting in with our local service providers so that they're aware of all the services. Because we are, we're a new organization, so we are changing quite a bit. And we want to make sure everybody is aware of what's going on and, and how we're kind of modifying our services to meet the needs. We also are within walking distance of two local high schools. And so uh, we have a very strong connection to those local high schools. And so if they have a youth that identifies a need, they know where to call to make sure that they can get the services. Okay, so what is the service area where you provide service? How does it go to Windsor, or what's what's the geographic area that you service? So we primarily service what we call the Leamington and Greater Area, so that includes Leamington and the neighboring community of Kingsville. Um, we also have uh, some reach into Chatham-Kent, which is the neighboring municipality, because Wheatley is also very close. Um, and I'll say, though, that especially within our supportive housing facility, we, we do tend to um, connect in with those that are within our kind of primary service area but we definitely see others in the remaining county as well as the city of Windsor and beyond. We've had people walk in that 
were originally from Sudbury that somehow made their way to London and then to Windsor and then found their way to us. So youth are very transient. And, and so we do definitely service anybody that uh, walks in our doors that meets the eligibility criteria for our supportive housing program. Okay. Krista, talk about team and partnership and funding because they're kind of related. For sure. So we work in a very collaborative team-based environment. Um, we now have 21 staff, and that includes six on-call staff. And um, our, our programs are separate but very interconnected. And so we have very clear communication tools we utilize in order to maintain that effective communication across shifts because, again, it is a 24-7 service. And um, we need to make sure that the night staff are aware of what goes on in the daytime and so on and so forth. We couldn't do what we do without the support of our local community, and that includes volunteers. So we are a volunteer-focused agency. And we also have partnership support across the sectors. So we have um, other organizations like the United Way that conduct their um, On Track to Success program here. We have South Essex Community Council conducting their homework help here. John Howard Society runs anger management programs and uses our intake space for their own service referrals. Um, you know, the list really does go on and on. And so we're so happy that many organizations see value in kind of the hub approach, you know, one-stop shop um, opportunity for them to connect in with the youth that is local here. And that really was kind of the crux of the location was, again, making sure it was within walking distance of the high schools, within local amenities, and that we were bringing services in not creating redundancy across the county because that's a waste of not only taxpayers' dollars but our, our donor dollars as well. And so that brings me to your other question is finances. So we um, originally we were solely private, um, privately funded as well as grant-based, and now we've diversified over the years, and um, we have some very successful fundraisers. Um, we continue with private donations, and um, we still have a grant through OTF. We're moving into the last year of that GROW grant. Hold on, OTF. As well as, OTF. Yep, Ontario Trillium Foundation. Sorry. <laughs> a lot of acronyms in our world. <laughs> And um, we secured a uh, operating dollar um, agreement with the County of Essex. So we have a two-tier system here in Windsor-Essex. We have the City of Windsor, we have the County of Essex, and then we have a number of different um, municipalities, including me, within, within that. And so the County of Essex supports us through a funding agreement um, specifically for our supportive housing facility. So we were very blessed to get that last year and, and very excited because it showcased the hard work that we have been, um, I guess, working towards and continuing the professional growth of our organization. Okay, fun question. Where do yeah. you plan to be three years from today? We have a very clear goal on what we want to do. And so the reason you had originally heard about um, our organization is because the the next phase is building housing. And 
we know that there is a housing crisis locally and you know across the world across the globe and we're going to be doing our part to help address that uh, we saw the need for housing with the youth that left our supportive housing facility and we also wanted to make sure that we were connecting in with the opportunity to service our community at large and and also because it's a social enterprise endeavor we're looking at the sustainability of the organization for years to come. So we're building a um, tiny home community and we've got 12 homes in the works right now um, with the intent to build another potentially 30 homes. And we'd have market rate, mid-level and affordable um, rental that would, like I said, sustain the organization, um, specifically the supportive housing facility and the resource center through the rental dollars. Hold on, you said tiny homes. Yeah. You better explain that. For sure. So we have right now um, a partnership with Habitat for Humanity. They're the lead on a social innovation grant in collaboration with the University of Windsor, Nidus, and Cobod, and as well as ourselves. And we are the location for the first 3D printed home. And I believe because it's a multi-unit dwelling, it's the first of its kind across North America was the latest that I've heard. And so those are our first four units and they're all 560 square feet. Um, So there's a bathroom, um, a bedroom, a single bedroom and a kind of shared kitchenette living room space. And they're all in a quadplex design. So we'll have three different quadplexes on our facility or on our grounds by the end of December. The other eight homes are through a Rapid Housing Initiative federal grant that we received, um, and that's to build eight additional homes on our property by the end of this year. So the 3D printed homes as well as our eight prefab homes won't have occupancy until the end of the year because all the infrastructure is tied together. So, um, and, and we have specific party populations that we will be um, servicing in order to meet our grant needs. So, what would be the rental fee for being in one of those? I don't, yeah, so it's dependent. It's the, all of those will be under the affordability rental, which I believe is 30% of somebody's gross income. Now, we haven't worked out the specifics of the rental dollar value for the remaining homes. Um, we're in the process of developing all of those policies and procedures and, and paperwork. So that's what I'm working on right now. <laughs> okay, so having said that, what if a youth 20 years old is homeless and addicted mm-hmm. and has no income? wouldn't qualify, is that right? Well, there's different ways to get somebody connected to an income. So a lot of our youth in our supportive housing program don't have any uh, income, but when they're connected with OW or ODSP, there's like a rental. Hold on, OW. uh, Ontario Works. So if they're connected with Ontario Works or Ontario, I think, Disability Support Plan, they have a uh, rental fee designated towards their dollars. And so we would receive the rental uh, fee portion. And so that would help kind of sustain sustain the operating dollars for, for that. Okay. Talk about your team. 
have uh, quite a number of employees for a small organization in a small community. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I, I'm the executive director and I have two reporting managers. So we have one that is an operations manager and then we have another that is our program manager. And we have a youth, we, so our goal is any of our entry level jobs, we're trying to employ youth. So we do have a youth um, janitorial support through operations. And on the programming side, we have a kitchen coordinator who helps support our day-to-day um, -day meals. And she also runs another social enterprise called Community Donut, which we just started this past year. So we sell donuts. And with the sale of those donuts, we were able to hire a youth baker. So we have another youth employment opportunity there. And with the supportive housing program, we have two caseworkers. They're called youth development coordinators. So it's a five to one ratio. It's a very intensive case management program because we know the youth need support to move forward on their goal for independent living. And we have somebody that needs to run the drop-in program. So we have our youth leadership coordinator, as I mentioned previously. And then we also, because we're a 24-7 service, we need staff on weekends as well as overnight. So we've got part-time staff, two full-time overnight staff, and then we have six on-call staff. And that really is just to supplement the day-to-day, -day, um, specifically with supportive housing, if there's any vacation needs or sick time coverage. Okay, talk about your board of directors, because I didn't see a youth member on the uh, board of directors. I don't know. Uh, we have one that is in his mid-20s. I think he falls just outside of our, um, I think he falls just outside of our age range. Our board of directors is very ambitious, and they have to be in order to make sure that the organization is meeting the strategic planning goals and is moving forward in the plan that we have over the next three years. Um, it's a well-rounded board. We have those that are in business, those that are in the social service sector, um, teachers, um, lawyers and financial advisors. And it, it was very intentionally built to ensure that we can achieve the goals that we have set out for ourselves. So you just have to recruit another youth for the uh, board of directors. Yeah, well, we have different ways that youth um, build into the services as a whole. So we have a youth that attends our different initiatives. Um, so we have a representative on our Take Your Shot Committee and that is a um, business, entrepreneurial, and bursary pitch competition. So we give away $90,000 every year. And this is just the second year running. And um, top prize for the business side is $20,000. And then we have two bursaries that are also worth $20,000. And it really is an effort to support the education and um, job attainment, um, I guess, sector that we want to focus on. We know that education is one of the primary reasons that somebody can move outside of the cycle of poverty. And so specifically, we wanna make sure that that is um, a program that we move forward on every year. So that became an annual event this past year. Okay, talk about government and police. Do they mm -hmm. play a role in terms of what you're doing? Um, so, 
from a police perspective, we do have a member of the OPP sit on what we call our advisory committee and yep. our advisory OPP. Of the Ontario Provincial Police. And they, um, we usually meet just by yearly for that committee. And it really is to help me ensure that I'm meeting our grant goals as well as meeting the needs of the community that we serve at large. So I have different representatives across, um, you know, employment services, police services, teaching, and so on and so forth. And it's just if they're hearing anything, seeing anything, if there's anything that we need to address from a programming perspective, um, they help me facilitate that discussion. So we actually just met last week. From a government perspective, um, I don't know if I necessarily have a lot in that area. We're, one of the things that we're intentional about is understanding of grant life cycles and different government initiatives that have different areas of focus. And one of the good things is that there's a lot of conversation around housing. And so we're hoping that will help us continue our momentum forward in building our um, tiny home community. Okay. So how do you measure results of what you do? So we have different reporting structures as far as statistics. Um, I have a statistics report that I have to submit to the board monthly, and that is based off of our grant requirements or our um, strategic plan requirements. We also have to... Um, every year create or we're starting to create yearly what we're calling like an impact report and it's just really to share with the community things that we've achieved and so that's not just statistics that also has outcome um, measures tied to it we're looking at doing focus groups again this year and it's really to have both quantitative and qualitative um, components be a part of um, measuring our success Hey, you just hit on the last topic that I want to address, success <laughs> stories. Success stories. Yeah, so something that we see um, is in the moment success stories. So a lot of our youth take kind of tiny, tiny steps and or big steps throughout. The one thing that we don't have yet is kind of what we'll call graduates of our program or, you know, those that have aged out that then, build back into the organization as a whole. And we, we really look forward to that opportunity. And um, because we're such a new agency, we're not quite there yet. But we have seen success specifically in a youth maintaining their housing after a year of um, our program and maintaining that housing for that year post. We have seen youth that leave us and move on to post-secondary education. Um, we had a number of high school graduates this past year within our supportive housing facility. And we try to um, make sure we indicate those that come in our drop-in program and provide us with like a, a feel-good moment. And we capture that just with quotes. And so one recently was that one of the youth spoke to our staff and said, I just really feel at home here. I feel safe here, and I'm, I'm so happy you guys are, are around. So that was really nice to hear. So, yeah, success stories, uh, success is different for everybody. And so why our vision is that every youth reaches their potential, because we understand that um, every youth has a different path, and it's not our job to um, 
create the goals for them. It's up to them to create the goals for themselves. And that's why we have to be careful when we're talking about success, that it's not how we define it, it's how they define it. So at some point, possibly an alumni group. That'd be nice. Yeah, that'd be fun. So what about mentors? Are any of the volunteers mentors? Yes. So we have um, a, a wonderful volunteer group. And as I mentioned, we weren't, we couldn't be where we are without the support of our community and the volunteers that, that should give their time to us. And so we have volunteers that help us with our front desk. So that do day-to-day tasks that help us with some admin work. Um, we have volunteers that help us in the kitchen with the nightly hot meals alongside of our kitchen coordinator. And we do have mentors that come in. So usually we schedule an individual once a week and we, when we look to them to commit for the year. And um, they're specifically a part of our drop-in. So helping facilitate the nightly activity, help with eyes on the floor for safety. Um, so yeah, absolutely, that's part of our program. Is security a problem in your facility at all? Um, no. We do have um, safety policies and procedures. Our staff are um, well-trained in how to handle any kind of escalated incident. And so security is not a requirement for us. Yeah. Well, Krista, you're passionate about what you do. That's coming through very well. And congratulate you on the work that you're doing. And I hope it continues to grow. So. Thank you for joining me this morning. No problem. Thank you so much for having me and be able to share about the bridge here in Leamington.